Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome back to another episode of the Comedy Bureau Field Report. The Comedy Bureau Field Report is a member of the Believe podcast family. That's spelled B-L-E-A-V, and that's why on your favorite podcast platform. It reads, Believe in the Comedy Bureau Field Report. And, uh, you know, this week, I would say um, if you want to have faith in a podcast network or a podcast or anything else, and as what's getting you through these times, go ahead. Um, <laughs> if that's if me discussing the unintentioned name of this podcast it leads you to that, great. But I don't want to focus on that too, too much, and I want to get on to this week's Amazing, amazing guest. I'm very grateful he's here. He is one of the country, almost perhaps the world's uh, only functioning comedian and labor organizer. Please get up for Nato Green, everybody. Thanks, throngs. <laughs> You're really, really welcome. Uh, how is it going uh, on this May Tuesday afternoon. Um, pretty. It's okay. Um, uh, a day in the life of a union organizer. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I'm actually less an organizer these days mm -hmm. and more of a negotiator. Mm -hmm. Um, so my, it's you know, I just it's uh I just had did a weekend at Cobb's Comedy Club in San Francisco with Adam Conover, right? Uh, which is great. Uh, and then. Uh, I also uh, do collective bargaining for a large union in Northern California, SEIU 1021. Yeah. Um, and so this morning, I uh, I was worked on negotiating a, a first union contract mm -hmm. for about 500 adjunct professors at Santa Clara University. Wow. Um, and then uh, had a meeting about. Um, I'm also working uh, collaboratively co collaboratively with the other unions in the San Francisco Unified School District. Right. We represent about 950 of the non-teachers in the school district. So right. your custodians, secretaries, food service workers, right. uh, mostly low-wage workers. Right. Um, and we're in negotiations with the school district. Right. Um, Is it, are uh, things coming along well? Because LAUSD, they, the, their employees striked. Yeah. They had a great three-day strike in March, um, yeah. and uh, yeah, it was you know it's it's it, it's come it was coming along well. Um, we, so today we had a meeting that was like all the unions and people from the school board and the superintendent mm -hmm. and people from the state finance office, and they were talking about some like budget outlook thing, mm -hmm. and um, and I said, uh, I said so at one point uh i'm just trying to understand are you are, what you're telling me when you're telling us that you want us to strike mm -hmm. and then all the administration people were like do you want us to strike like in september or october like when's the best time for you for us to go on strike and they were like whoa <laughs> we're not saying any of that what do you and i was like i just i just want to make sure i understand what you're telling us so yeah that's wow that's amazing. So, how is that balancing? I so I feel like, or tell me if it's different. You have to be in a certain sort of mental gear to do collective bargaining, and then how do you switch or manage then doing stand up after that? You know, this is. I mean, this was a this was a joke on my first album, but because mm -hmm. I'm a comedian, union organizer, father of twins, and people are like those are all those are three really hard things to do, mm -hmm. but. But the joke was, from my perspective, I do one thing, which is tell people things they don't want to hear. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I just go, it's just a different room. Um, right. But, you know, the uh, as, a, as a negotiator, I mean, there's a bunch of like technical stuff about like, mm -hmm. you know, today there was, you know, in this meeting, there was like a deep dive into mm -hmm. talking about the budget process and whatever. Mm -hmm. So there's some of that. But, at a, you know, at, as a negotiator, you have to have a style as a negotiator that works for your personality. Mm -hmm. And I'm a comic. Right. So, and like a lot of negotiations is managing group dynamics. Right. And so, uh, so actually like when I, like 
when I get sent to, by my union mm -hmm. to go to go negotiate a contract mm -hmm. for the first time, mm -hmm. uh, and they meet me, the, the, the I, you know, there's always an elected bargaining team of workers mm -hmm. from that group right. uh, that go to the table, and I'm the staff person to support the negotiations. Mm -hmm. And I say to them at the beginning, um, I have to tell you something about myself. I'm a stand-up comedian, and I'm. I'm I'm one of the more successful unfamous comedians. Um, I'm famous in three neighborhoods, and <laughs> um, and uh, and I tell you that for two reasons. One, there is a hundred percent chance that the boss will bring it up at some point. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I want you to hear it from me before you hear it from them. Right. And two is that I'm a comedian, and that means that I'm going to make jokes. Yeah. And I make jokes because I'm a person who makes jokes. That doesn't yeah. mean I'm not paying attention or don't take your shit seriously. It just mm -hmm. means that that's how I process information is by making jokes. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to make jokes during bargaining and just be okay with that. Right. And then people are like, okay. And, and so then it's like, you know, mm -hmm. then it means that it's sort of like being in negotiations with me. It's just a long crowd work set. You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It's, if it's managing group dynamics, that's a, Fancy ten dollar way to describe crowd work. That's right. Yeah, it's yeah. just crowd work. Yeah, yeah. But it's the well, people aren't drunk, and then there's money at stake. Is it? Yeah, thing? and so yeah, sometimes people, you know, people might lose their health care if you fuck it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and oh, you can't have people escorted out. Right. Um, yeah. So, uh, go ahead. Yeah, and you know, and and there, I mean, people can, we can go on strike. You know what I mean? So yeah. Um, so and I like I enjoy a certain amount of chaos as negotiator. Mm -hmm. Like the other day, we were we were you know, like I I uh, the, we were in negotiations, and a group of with the school district, and like thirty custodians showed up. Whoa. Uh, like, un un unannounced unplanned they they i had heard some, that some number of people were going to come to sit in mm -hmm. but like it wasn't a well-coordinated thing but you know i i had told the members like you should start organizing your coworkers, and then they were like okay so then we're going to bring 30 custodians to just sh show up and yell at management <laughs> so they showed up and i was like hey guys do you want to yell at management and then they're like yes we do want to yell at management <laughs> <laughs> was it like oh in that sort of setting is it a little unhinged like um in summer of 2020, a lot of LA town hall meetings, a lot of town hall meetings or city uh, council meetings were actually put on Zoom and public comment was people just cursed up a storm. Is it like that? Uh, oh, yeah. No, it wasn't that bad. Um, I, I Have you ever seen my public comment videos? Oh, like, I haven't. Yeah. It's, it's been a minute since I, I, I've done one, but there, there was a few years where like there was a, a few times, not a ton, but maybe four or five times where I would like intentionally go and do comedic public comment at some government hearing about something in person <laughs> and i would plan it so i'd wait until the end of the public comment in the hearing so i'd hear what everyone else had to say yeah. and then i could go up last and roast my political enemies to their fucking faces hell yeah um <laughs> and so you're just like like sitting in the back of the room writing roast jokes right um and in San Francisco, enough people know who I am that when I get up, people are like, oh, oh here we go. Something crazy <laughs> about to happen. Um, <laughs> this guy. So, uh, but I did it once in LA and I almost got punched out. Like, wow. Like it was, it was, uh, Curtis Cook was with me. Right. And, uh, and it was a hearing about rent control that right. was put on by the state. It was a state assembly hearing at the state building in Los Angeles. And I just happened to be in town. Right. And, um, uh, and they, they, it was it was about uh, a proposal to expand rent control, mm -hmm. and I, so on purpose I went and sat with the landlords, and I listened <laughs> to all the, all the landlords speak, uh -huh. and then and everybody had a minute to speak, and so then the landlord spoke, and then I got to my turn, and I said, uh, you know, my name is Nato Green, I'm a mom and pop landlord. And I speak on behalf of 100% of mom and pop landlords, and the other landlords start clapping, and then I said, <laughs> and then I said. Uh, and I speak on behalf of 100% of mom and pop landlords when I say that uh, that we support uh, uh, expanding rent control to all residential property in California. Um, <laughs> and then all hell broke loose. Like people started, people jumped up and were screaming at me and they had to gavel the hearing to order. Uh, <laughs> and, and they were like, go back to Cuba and stuff. <laughs> um, 
And uh, and I was like, look, if you're if you find it difficult to make money as a landlord, maybe you're a bad at being a landlord and you're in the wrong line of work. Right, right, right. Uh, <laughs> and so then it ended and I turned to walk out and the tenant organizers followed me out and they were like, I'm sorry, what are you? What just happened? Like, <laughs> so that's that, that's my amazing. TV show pitch. Yeah. Is let me do public comment. That'd be great. I remember Jamar Neighbors did that once uh for in promotion of like a something that gerard carmichael was doing but they oh for the special yeah i saw that one yeah they did that and then these uh pranksters um john oh fuck i forget his last name but they had like a series on netflix because they started like just being these surfer dudes at city council meetings yeah Yeah, i mean jt and chat yeah that's who it was Honestly, my favorite one is that there's a public comment episode in what we do in the shadows. Right, right. Oh, I uh, love that. Yeah. Um uh where like the the vampires are ruled out of order and stuff. It's just <laughs> you know, but it's like public comment, it's televised in a lot of jurisdictions. Like there's some, you know, government access channel where it's streamed and archived. Right. Uh and they have to let you talk for two minutes. Right. So <laughs> You know, go work out your bits, everybody. Right. <laughs> and obviously, this has informed a lot of your comedy is doing two minute <laughs> roast jokes at, at uh, state assemblies and council meetings. And council meetings. Yeah. 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 Uh, what sort of jokes do you crack in negotiations? I, because when you said that, it made me think about how um, Al Franken when elected as a Congress member, I don't think he uh, tried to be funny at all. And at least in any of the uh, like C-SPAN videos or anything like that, he was very serious. Yeah. Um, uh, well, let me see, you know, um, what kind of jokes do I crack in negotiations? Um, the, like once I was in negotiations with the city of Oakland and they were talking about hiring more police officers. Mm-hmm. And I asked if they were going to be assigned to the um, uh, killing black people division or the beating protesters division. It's <laughs> a ballsy joke to crack in a negotiation. Yeah. And, um, and, and, you know, I mean, then they were like, um, what? How dare you? You know? Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so um once i was in negotiations over um uh san francisco general hospital uh and you know and they and they and they were talking about their budget issues and i asked if they were planning to sit, continue to save money by letting patients die which is the <laughs> most cost effective thing you could do sure um uh, so um you know we figure it out right um you know i don't really i don't necessarily have uh here's the closest i get to stock material for negotiations right. is because usually there's a an attorney across the table from me mm-hmm. um and i'll say look i'm not an attorney but i have the next best thing which is a jew <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah that's that's probably the least uh i like you know, fiery jokes that you could have of the three that you just told. Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh yeah, well, although inevitably someone is like, mm-hmm. can you say that? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. So um But you are, so you can and Right, right. All that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What uh was there any what what was the difference between being um an organizer versus a negotiator well um as a um like in doing organizing um it's you know it's it's like you you're out in in the in the field as we say like walking around work sites right like i've spent years you know like i organize a union of bike and car messengers Mm -hmm. and so that was like about you know like prowling delivery entrances of office buildings and stuff like that right. hunting people down mm-hmm. and you know or like when i um i was an internal organizer and rep you know with hospital workers and so i was um 
you know, go, sitting in break rooms and, you know, leafleting shift change and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. As a negotiator, there's a, a level of um, intensity because you're like, you know, you could drive towards a strike or a settlement. And then there's all this technical stuff about, um, about what I, what I love about, about negotiations is just the complexity of it. There's like so many things to think about at the same time. Like you're thinking about the absolute power relationships and about the relationships of the people in the room, the group dynamics. And you're thinking about what are the issues that people are trying to resolve Mm -hmm. and how do the, how do those things get resolved or not get resolved through negotiations? Right. Um, and so like, you know, I'm always learning it, it's, there's a, there's an intensity to it. And then you get to really like dig in and build these deep relationships with people because, you know, like um, going through negotiations is very emotional. Like, like I did, I, I did these negotiations um for this uh, nonprofit agency that was their, it was their first union contract, but a thousand workers statewide agency called health right 360 mm-hmm. where the, it, they mostly do like they're all in, in, in the Bay area and in LA and in San Diego. And they do a lot of like drug treatment uh, and addiction medicine. Mm-hmm. And so there were a lot of the members that got elected to the negotiating team where, you know, at the, on the first day we were doing introductions and people were in tears and they were like, you know, I was in jail and I was an addict and I was on the streets or whatever. And I turned my life around and now I get to be here and sit at this table. Like mm-hmm. it's a transformational experience for people to go through and you get to like, um, you know, build in some cases, these like lifelong bonds with, with, with your committee mm-hmm. as, you know, I've been, in, I've been in negotiations that were, um, you know, sometimes i mean recently recently i was in negotiations that took three years Mm -hmm. and so um instead of like interacting with you know the entire workforce i'm having this very intense experience with a group of union leaders and sort of trying to train them how to lead the rest of their coworkers to change the material conditions of their lives right um do you do you think about comedy crowds the same way and that like I, I asked this because I feel like there are some comics who they'll go and they're just going to do their set and whether or not there's a portion of the audience that doesn't give a shit is re- like they don't give care about that. And then there are other people who I think on the other side of the spectrum will like hone in on even a single person not laughing and then focus all their energy on that, which I think is an overcorrection. But how do you how do you view it in relation to how you like get in so intensely and emotionally in a contract negotiation? Um, that's such an inter- interesting question. I mean, I think the the um, part of part of the work of organizing is is being able to like reflect back to people an expectation that they can get out of their comfort zone. Right. And that the impossible can be, become possible. Right. Um, and um, and to like, you know, most most of the time, working mm-hmm. people don't have an experience of power. Like, that's what's so profound about negotiations is mm-hmm. you sit at the table with your employer as an equal. And most right. working people never have that experience. Right. Um, and, and there is something similar about that with mm-hmm. comedy. Like, obviously, like, my comedy is not for everybody. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, and so, um, you know, that, that part of it, like, if you, like, I will, I want to do smart comedy that's about political issues that I really care about. Mm-hmm. And I want to do comedy that's honest to my point of view, mm-hmm. where I'm not trying to like dumb it down to appeal to some mainstream. And so part of it is like, you know, being fearless in the point of view and like projecting an expectation that the audience is capable of meeting me where I am. Right. Um, you know, I mean, there was, I, it was, it was something over the many years that I've been doing stand up, like it, there was a shift. I could feel it in my, like internally, there's a point where I sh- shifted from wanting the audience to like me mm-hmm. to expecting the audience to want me to like them. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. And, uh, um you know that the audience like want, like wanted me to so i have people coming up to me after shows all the time being like 
uh, you know, I feel like after watching you, I feel like I should read more. <laughs> and I'm like, that's good. That's a good outcome from a comedy show. Yeah. And so. it's yet a, a, a rare example where there's demonstrable change from hearing jokes. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, or like, like just this weekend, some people, somebody came up to me after the show. Mm -hmm. I was like, "Hey, really good set. I just have one question: mm -hmm. Is there hope?" <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> they, and you know they just I mean? and they kept it that general. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What'd you say? I said, um, "I said there's lots of reasons to be afraid." But at every at every moment, there is a range of future possibilities between the best case scenario and the worst case scenario, right. and where we land on that range mm -hmm. is determined by what we decide to do next. Right. Um, it's, so it's, that's a, a a more comforting answer, or like a diplomatic way to kind of say like, "What is that? I don't know, really." <laughs> <laughs> I I went to a a, a show that was like. Um, it was I forget what the organization was, but they were about about taking plastic out of like um, the ocean and just kind of climate activism in general. And I remember asking the host after the show because I was like, yeah, I mean, things seem bad, but are like we just beyond fucked. And she's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that was it. You like, I mean, we we could do what we can, but like, you know, you you like recycling your cans isn't changing anything. Yeah, I mean, yes, that's true. But also, I mean, those that those aren't you know the choices are never recycle right. your cans yeah. or or do nothing. Right. It's like you know demand the systemic change that will actually fix the thing. Right. And um, you know, like hope is something that I've thought a lot about. Um, and I mean, and, and I think it affects my comedy a lot because right. like I'm, I do political comedy, but I'm, right. it's, it's, it come like a lot of the, what a lot of the people doing political comedy mm -hmm. to me come from a very sort of nihilistic perspective right. and, um, and, and, uh, and very cynical and my mm -hmm. comedy is like my, my genuine point of view mm -hmm. is um fundamentally hopeful right a and i like people at a basic yeah. level like i'm not a misanthropic person right. and so for me the base the basis of hope mm -hmm. is what is objectively true and it, this is borne out in history is mm -hmm. we never know what's going to happen next no you know and if you if history has shown us anything it's that people will continue to be surprising you know things will yeah. be predictable but mm -hmm. you know i i just think you know pessimism and cynicism is all based on in false certitude yeah and i think it comes down to even i, I remember one of my closest friends a friend i actually started comedy with a big problem he had and probably subsequently why he partially stopped doing comedy um he had a fear of the unknown to a degree where even if you could very convincingly show him that there is a high chance of probability that if you just took a little bit of a risk and tried something new tried changing your life in these ways it could be better um he wouldn't do that because there was a chance that it could be worse it just isn't known there isn't a known quantity and at least as miserable as his life was, he could go to sleep and wake up the next day knowing it would be just that bad. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so, who was it? Somebody said once that cynicism is self-defense against the pain of unrequited hope. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It also reminds me, I remember I went to some, like, uh, it was a USC film school thing and it was like some um, industry expert led panel uh, about how to like, um, you know, a, a very general sort of how to move in your career in entertainment. 
And there was definitely a portion where the speaker was like, hope is your enemy. They don't ever use the word hope. And I remember that sticks with me to this day of how like dark that was. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, you know, that's a, I mean, that's a really good sort of um, litmus test for how the entertainment industry was <laughs> 10 years ago. And it's gotten worse. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um the um the I mean the other the other thing the last thing I'll say about hope is that like I think when people don't feel hopeful it's it's sort of like um a lot of times people want to, like in when you're talking about participating in social change mm -hmm. people want to wait until they feel hopeful before they do anything. Right. And it's actually that's it's backwards. Like that the more part of the reason that I stay hopeful is that I'm in touch with organizers all the time and I know what they're right. doing. Right. And like, if, you know, if you're at home waiting for the internet to tell you that there's signs of hope, it's not going to tell you that. Right. If you're out with the people doing the big work, right. you're going to see the basis for why to be hopeful. Right. Absolutely. I mean that, that, yeah, definitely cutting yourself off from people uh, is never a good recipe for that because in kind of an amazing way the human mind is just able to go to such dark absurd places often if just left unchecked right you know um so you're saying that you did a weekend with adam conover uh who is i think like one of the he's not a strike captain he's like part of the a board of the wga he's on the negotiating committee in the negotiating committee so almost what you do right yeah yeah i mean well it was interesting because he's on he's an elected member of the negotiating committee mm -hmm. and he was telling me about his learning from the staff person mm -hmm. who is their lead negotiator who has my job Mm -hmm. So, like, I work with members like him who are elected, right? Um, as a, as a staff person, right? Uh, do you, I, you guys talk about the writer strike at length? <laughs> yeah. What uh? What, so, what did you hear from him? What What were your sort of takeaways? I mean, you obviously have been in um, unions longer than Adam. Um, you know, I think. Um, I mean, I think it. I I think it's it's um. Uh, I, you know, I think the strike is incredible and important and overdue, and I'm glad it's happening. And I was disappointed that the IATSE strike didn't happen last year. Right. Um, I think it would have been good for everybody um, because strikes reduce economic inequality. Right. And like militants begets militants, like solidarity is contagious, as they say. So, mm -hmm. you know, just more strikes in general is a good thing, um, particularly in this industry. And I and I'm loving like all the messaging coming out of the Writers Guild strikes that this is about this is about everybody in entertainment. This is right. just about writers, um, and the you know stopping the push to move entertainment to the gig economy. Right. I think that's all great. Um, so you know I think the um, for me as a, at you know I've never done an entertainment negotiation, so there's a bunch of stuff that I don't is is outside of my wheelhouse but mm -hmm. as someone who does a lot of negotiations um it's like you know i think their the internal organization is sound the membership engagement is solid the met public message is great mm -hmm. um the the questions that i would have are like part of what's interesting about this negotiation is mm -hmm. this is not like the industry has changed you know that it it's not the same cast of characters across the table from the guild as there was 20 years ago because you have the amazon and the netflix and the mm -hmm. apple and stuff that are in the mix you know these tech companies basically mm -hmm. that are, and so in many ways what the writers are fighting for mm -hmm. are things that for the writers are an existential threat and one of the things that like that is core about any negotiation is the way to get what you want is to understand what the other side wants right. and to understand that the other side also the other side that neither side of a negotiation is necessarily unified around their objectives right um and so like 
what is likely to occur prior to the conclusion of the strike is the thing that is not known yet will become known, which is what are the internal fissures and tensions within the AMTPP? Yeah. Like, you know, somebody's going to say, Netflix, what the fuck are you doing to all of us? Right. You know, or whatever. Like, right. that, or, so, how how the different companies navigate their unity or lack of unity, like, right. and their, their ability to endure the pressure. Right. You know, the companies that are exclusively entertainment companies, as opposed to companies that, like, Apple and Amazon, that are tech companies with a di- entertainment as part of a diversified portfolio, like, the the pressure of having production shutdowns mm-hmm. is going to hit them differently. So I think that's going to be that's going to be one of the things that that I watch. The other thing that's super positive about the strike is the level of solidarity. Like in any in every any heavily industry heavily unionized industry, the level of solidarity can be determinative in in terms of the outcome. And so the fact that like there's all these productions shutting down. Teamsters honoring picket lines, IATSE honoring picket lines, SAG-AFTRA honoring picket lines. Right. You know, the more that that, that um, uh, one of my favorite books of all time mm-hmm. is Black Jacobins by C.L.R. James about the Haitian Revolution. Mm-hmm. And one of the great lines from the book is, the rich have not been defeated until they're running for their lives. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, right. um, so that part of like what in, you know, in a, in a contract fight it's like the strike isn't the way that the way that we train people on on contract negotiations is that you want to have escalating pressure and the strike is like often considered the nuclear option but it's actually not mm-hmm. that what you what you want to have happen is is you want the employers to see a sort of spreading level of social crisis right. that like the situation could get out of hand and unpredictable things start occurring once people are in motion right. um, which is what's happening which is what's happening. So people are just like, I, it's something that I love about strikes. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I, and the other thing I love, one of the other things I love about strikes is that every strike expresses the authentic culture of the workers. Mm-hmm. So for example, a few years ago, I organized this big strike of 3000, not, I mean, I didn't organize the whole thing, but I was the chief negotiator in a big strike of about 3000 public health workers in Oakland. Mm-hmm. And incredibly diverse workforce and there was picket there were locations all over alameda county and there were these different pockets of workers so like the nigerian workers were dancing on the picket lines to nigerian music mm-hmm. and the ethiopian workers were dancing to, Ni- to ethiopian music uh-huh. and the workers from oakland were literally ghost riding the whip on the picket line <laughs> um, you know what i mean That's it was great. like you know so the um so like that 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 experience of like a you know ballooning chaos and disruption is going to be really critical and it's going to be you know and it's going to hit these employers differently in terms of their ability to withstand um uh further disruption so essentially because apple and Amazon um, are have like a net worth that rival that outdoes a lot of sovereign nations and have enough employees to be their own country. They can their sort of endurance for a strike is different than just like Paramount. Yeah, I mean, well, it's um, there. Uh, Jane McAlevey is a a uh, prominent labor organizer um an author and she wrote a, wrote a book um called uh no shortcuts mm-hmm. um and one of the things that she talks about is um the uh, to, to that question is that i mean it's almost like a math problem which is the the cost of disruption relative to the cost of the concession right so it's true that they could conceivably afford to weather a great deal of disruption but is that disruption worth it for them relative to the cost of agreeing to the demands um of the unions given given how given that you know none of these things are their major profit centers right um and you know tbd tbd yeah 
a, a lot is unknown at this point. I mean, I Bob Bakish, who's the head of Paramount, uh, has very been very vague in his response to sort of the demands. But I remember him saying one of the first things he says, like audiences won't notice for a while, which it just makes me uh, wonder what is going behind going on behind closed doors at the AMPTP of you know what what they they have to know that the narrative at least publicly is that they're in the wrong and they're bad right and so i mean so one of the interesting things about this strike and the and the part about it that would like if i were the the negotiator on the negotiating team the part of it that would make me nervous is that like Okay, so there's two kinds of strikes. There's limited duration strikes and open-ended strikes. Mm -hmm. So a limited duration strike is one where you say, we're going out for two days or five days or whatever, mm -hmm. some period of time. Right. And an open-ended strike is one like where you just say, we're going out until there's, until there's a deal. And typically, like often, if you look at, for example, the public teacher strikes, like not the one that just happened in March, but like the, the 2019 LA teacher strike, right. they were out for, I don't know, two or three weeks. Mm -hmm. Um so, you know, usually, even if it's an open-ended strike, it doesn't go on for that long. Mm -hmm. There are some notable exceptions, like there was a nurse's strike in Massachusetts that went on over a year. There's a, there are some long strikes, but often... The last writer's strike was really long. Right. Often, with you know, um, when the strike gets long, it like... It, be it becomes an, an attrition. So usually, in the sort of labor field time is the employer's friend. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So like there's been all this unionization at Starbucks mm -hmm. and and then there was the union victory at the Amazon warehouse in Staten Island. Mm -hmm. And in both cases, the employer's strategy is to delay mm -hmm. and hope that turnover will grind down the unions. Right. Um, so in the case of the, of the writer's strike, they shut down entertainment, but it it's going to unfold over time I mean, the last writer's strike was it was quite a while because it takes a while before the like the you know even if they shut down production immediately it takes a while before that real you know generally starts being felt across the industry right um she, and gives, go ahead it so it, it just gives the employers like a few months runway right where they you know they can they you know the workers aren't getting paid and the employers right. have to outlast that right. um and so, you know, that's the thing that I would worry about is like, you know, now it's, we're still in week one. It's dominating the news cycle. The energy is really good. How is this going to feel when we get to month four? Right. Um, and yeah. and people are tired and cranky and want to go back to work and the lines aren't as exciting. And right. there's not, the, you know, it's not as visual, visually interesting and that kind of stuff. The signs aren't clever anymore. Right. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that that's a that is to to be seen. I mean, uh, the level of disruption that is happened to even surprising, like I I thought that was gonna ramp up a lot slower, but the amount of productions that and that have shut down and you know, all the different unions that have shown up the picket line at the start, we'll see if that endures too. But I mean, I think that's where you know perhaps as if you're negotiating that's the the good thing to know is that because from what i understand that whatever the outcome of this rider strike is is going to affect the rest of the entertainment industry and all of their deals mm -hmm. and so that's yes. why so it that is going to incentivize all the other unions to keep solidarity that's right that's right and um and so, you know, so it's like the the strike is a baseline, and then they start. Then the other unions start honoring the picket line. So that's a that's an escalation from there. Mm -hmm. And then it's like then the next question is what happens after that. Right. And there is um, there's like you know a body of literature about nonviolent resistance movements, mm -hmm. um, and you know what i would think about if i were working on this strike right. is other stuff that we could do to create chaos yeah. like you mm -hmm. know what i mean like street blockades and building occupations and hunger strikes and right. you know things that that could recapture the news news cycle and also you know that you want to like you want to have um 
how do I say it? Oh, so in the academic literature about nonviolent disruption, one of the ways that they talk about it, mostly in the context of overthrowing the government, but it applies here too, right. is uh, is the idea of pillars of support right. and the, the defection of pillars of support. And so it's like it doesn't need to be based on sympathy, but you can get some members of the AMPTP, you know, going into their private meetings and being like, "This this is hotter than what we signed up for." You know, you want politicians calling them and being like, I don't give a shit about your whatever deal is like people need to stop blocking streets in my town yeah. or what, you know, that kind of thing. Right. We can't have we can't have this um, that those types of other um, escalations where the dis where the disruption gets great enough that other parties start feeling like so that, that the AMTP TV. Uh, AMPTP TV yes. is uh, I keep wanting to, co co to convert it into the into Oakland's anti-police terror project, uh, <laughs> but that's a different thing. Yeah, um, yeah. The uh, you know that they feel like that they can't do what they want to do because right. their their ability to operate is constrained because they've lost all, all of their potential allies. Right. Absolutely. So yeah, and you know, kind of. To all that point, um, late night disappearing isn't really gonna, you know, rattle things. And even though Abbott Elementary and um, Severance and a bunch of other productions have shut down, and there's potentially there the HBO is gonna try to finish House of Dragon without writers. Uh, we'll see how that goes. Um. Yeah, I I mean that's only a certain level of disruption that I don't get know. ready for more rape, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that'll be that'll be somebody's side for sure. Um so yeah, I mean with that in mind, like what you know, what can people who aren't members of the WGA or members of a union can do to like support maybe up these levels of disruption at an unprecedented degree? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think I'm, you know, well, first of all, there there is a certain amount of what you can do that is like very similar to like entitled white lady want to speak to your manager kind of energy. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. doing some angry tweeting and angry emailing and whatnot. Right. But, you know, even if you're not a member of the union, go to the picket lines. Mm -hmm. Um, send food, mm -hmm. you know, uh, contribute money mm -hmm. if there's like if there's an opportunity to, you know, I don't know if there's like a, somebody's doing like a stand with the WGA, you know, window signs that everybody can put the put a sign in their window, right? Um, you know, so that uh, as executives drive around, mm -hmm. um, you know, I think to the extent that, uh, uh, you know, I think demanding that politicians calling your local politicians mm -hmm. and demand that they not do what Gavin Newsom did and put out a bullshit both sides mealy mouth statement, but right. physically go walk a picket line. Right. I think demanding that politicians actually show up and walk the picket line is really important actually. Right. Um I think Biden put out a statement similar to that too. Biden's statement was actually stronger. He said oh, yeah, we'll he see. said the writers need a fair deal. Yeah. It wasn't it was a lot less both sidesy. Yeah. Um but he didn't say what though. Right. <laughs> um so um, we need them to tell America's stories. <laughs> yeah, and I do find it kind of ironic that, like, for the AMPTP to come off better, they would need writers. That's right. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, do you ever have this experience with actors where you're like listening to an actor being interviewed, mm -hmm. and you're like, oh, you're not interesting unless someone else is writing your words, right? In fact, you know I mean? Yeah, I think it, it's my personal benchmark for how good of a late night talk show host you are. If you can make a very uninteresting actor interesting, mm -hmm. it, which is very, very hard to do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I, I've had the experience like over the years of listening to WTF. Mm -hmm. Like there's certain people where I'm like, oh, I like this person less after listening to them talk for an hour and a half. <laughs> <laughs> yeah the thrill is gone uh, oh yeah for sure for sure and i mean you know that it all kind of ties to get like late night being going off the air and not feeling i don't know how much of a disruption that is because like 
late night was already disrupted as a format in a way that like what are we supposed to even be doing this anymore or we're just interviewing actors and celebrities to promote projects and like i firmly believe that no one watches an interview with even like um you know seth myers and is convinced that like oh i should go watch the thing that this person's promoting right i mean do people even are you know are there a lot of people who are like mm -hmm. you know my favorite thing to watch on television is is emma stone laughing on a couch <laughs> you know yeah right 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 um, i mean even conan like the best things about conan and i wouldn't even say his interviews are even bad it's him being in the real world interacting with people right those are the best yeah i mean yes although i've also come to terms with the fact that i'm not the representative consumer of entertainment sure <laughs> as, as a comedian uh union negotiator what is your sort of niche entertainment you consume well yeah people are always like oh you got to watch succession it's about uh -huh. it's really well written and well acted about how rich people are horrible and i'm like i know rich people are horrible i've met them <laughs> <laughs> you meet them for a job yeah it's not i don't i don't like that uh right yeah no my like i uh you know my it's like i have enough anxiety and moral ambiguity in my daily life like right. my entertainment i want like the stakes of good and evil to be clearly defined and resolved within an hour and a half right so uh, you're a big marvel guy you know i like uh i like uh you know i watch the marvel stuff and star wars i love rrr yeah, i watch uh -huh. rrr like five times uh-huh um <laughs> I mean that dance is infectious. As I know. Hard as it like, is. like, like I watch, I watch RRR, and I was like, I need to not talk about this with any of my Indian friends because then I'll find out that it's actually like problematic, pro Modi, fascist propaganda. Yeah. Because um, <laughs> what it, my like, you know, unschooled Anglo eye just sees this as like anti-colonial re revenge porn, and I'm I'm all for it. So right. Um, you know uh even like i'm i like the good wife mm -hmm. um right <laughs> so <laughs> that kind of stuff uh-huh john wick it's very clear <laughs> it's very clear yeah uh yeah i mean john wick a little bit less so i would say mm -hmm. um uh just because it's like it's it's almost too ridiculous for me yeah it's um, pretty ridiculous I, there there's no way that any human being uh, could go through that yeah and it's and it's sort of not like about anything it's nah. just it feels like like someone came up with a bunch of action set pieces and then we're like let's call this a thing <laughs> we yeah. don't need to come up with a story right would it surprise you to know that the directors of john wick are stuntmen oh maybe i feel yes they were like stunt guys who became directors that sounds right that yeah. story checks out yeah that's why john wick is the way they 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 figured out the quickest way to sort of establish and justify john's vengeance and then just went to town yeah yeah i um uh can i tell you something i've never told anybody yes one of the reasons that i would like to someday have the opportunity to write a television show or a movie mm -hmm. to write a script right is that um even though I like do this, like, do, you know, my stand up is this like heady, like mm -hmm. overthought, over literary, like political comedy. Mm -hmm. I grew up around these circus guys. Yeah. And so I like have a deep appreciation of clowning. <laughs> uh, and I would like to be able to like write like just like ridiculous physical comedy set pieces and gags into right. like an otherwise brainy script. Amazing. That That'd be great. That makes me that there's a bit of a dynamic like that in Bojack Horseman, where there's like these very dark, um, very human, even though they're putting it through animated animals a lot of the time, like uh, truths that they try to like explore in like the human condition in the entertainment industry. And then juxtaposed next to that is a bunch of just like pun based animal jokes. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's extremely silly. Has it is extremely superfluous, like just non sequitur shit. 
<laughs> right next to just like very jokes or plot points that make you feel all the feelings. Yeah. 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 I love it. It's yeah. my favorite. It's the best. It it is it is the best. Well, I hope you get a chance to do that and whatever it ends up being, I would love to see it. You know. Me too. Someday. <laughs> after the uh, after the strike is won. After the strike is won. Yeah, that was somebody was telling me they're uh they were talking with their with their friends about what they were doing during the strike, and so many of them are trying to write pilots net right now, which is the dumbest thing. <laughs> Why would you do that? Right. <laughs> uh yeah, I mean uh get ready for a whole lot of new podcasts a whole lot of new podcasts i think a bunch of writers probably even drama writers are going to try stand up because they're, <laughs> they're not doing anything else oh dear oh yeah I, i'm getting ready for that um thank you nato so much for joining me on the pod uh i really really appreciate it i think there's so many great insights you have and if for those of you who don't know nato because you don't live in those three neighborhoods in which he's famous um please go watch his comedy and listen to it. And uh, it, he's so, so funny. And, and if you don't read or don't read that much, maybe you'll read more, you know? That's right. Yeah. That's the goal. Um, is there anything else you would like to promote and where can people find you online? Uh, people, um, I'm uh, Mr. Nato green on Instagram is probably the, the, the best place at the moment right. or nato green on twitter on elon musk's twitter um <laughs> i i have two albums out uh the nato green party and the whiteness album mm -hmm. and the best way to get them to support the artist directly is to go on Bandcamp. Mm -hmm. um and uh you know i'm i'm doing stand up around the bay i'm doing dry heat comedy club in albuquerque this later this summer cool uh so i'm around yeah it was around. So go see NATO wherever those places are or indefinitely. Uh, or if you go to just any random picket line in the Bay Area, there's a better than even chance that you'll run into me. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Well, certainly if you're in L.A. anytime soon, I'll look for you at a picket line. That's right. Yeah. We're going to have them for a while. Um, I'm Jay Kruger. I created the Comedy Bureau. You can find the Comedy Bureau at thecomedybureau.com at the Comedy Bureau across socials. You can find me on Instagram at not the supermarket on Twitter at MJ Kruger. So many great causes to support this time. The WGA strike fund would be a good one. Um, but if you have money and generosity left over, please support the Comedy Bureau to keep it running. Do you have anything to say as we sign off here, NATO? Organize a union at your own job. That's that's how you can support the writers guild. Yeah. Is if your job is not union, make one. Yeah. Well, I'll negotiate with myself. <laughs> <laughs> a bureau of one, which, uh, yeah, that's that's a fun to deal with. Uh, live comedy is happening, and uh, writers need your support as well. Uh, and as the great Brody Stevens would say, enjoy it! Comedy Bureau Field Report is recorded, produced, and edited by Jake Kroger. Music by Brian Granillo. Artwork by Andrew Delman and KT. And part of the Believe Podcast family. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.